The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life, loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it has thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Amen. We wish to see Jesus. And that's the way our gospel passage begins. It's the last week of Jesus' life. It's a day or two after Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. People were shouting, Hosanna! They were laying down their cloaks, their palm fronds. And it got the attention of these Greeks, these God-fearing non-Jews. They were in town on pilgrimage for the Feast of the Passover. And they surely had uh, read the Hebrew Scriptures that uh, the Messianic king would ride into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. So it's likely that they uh, want to know, is this him, the king that we have been told about? And so they find Philip and they declare, sir, we want to see Jesus. It's not even Sunday. And they want to see Jesus. Now, you might expect that... Uh, This would delight Jesus. Uh, We expect him to say, Ah, 
great. I'd love to see them. Or, you know, I really want to, but I'm booked at 3 o'clock with a healing already. I mean, something. We want, we expect something, some sort of response from Jesus. But instead, the request uh, made by these Greeks uh, triggers a mysterious, almost uh, ominous response from Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And it's hard to know how to understand passages of Scripture like this sometimes. They don't flow intuitively. Harder still to see where such passages intersect with our own lives. Some Greeks want to see Jesus, but he seems to answer in a way that is completely unrelated to their request. Now, most of us here are Southerners, and we understand what it means to be related um, we have all been in, I thought that was funny, but we have all, all been in, uh, I'm, we're all, I'm probably related to most of you, but we, um, we have all been in conversations with uh, someone, and you know, where we thought we're, we're probably related, uh, but we just, we just don't know how, and so we had to get out the old family documents, right, and we uh, had to uh, go several generations back and then see where our family trees uh, intersect. And, um, and, and then we knew there had to be a relation, but we didn't know where it was until uh, we went way back several generations to figure it out. So that's sort of how uh, we approach uh, Scripture when we see Jesus uh, speaking in, in one thing, but we don't see how that's related to the circumstances that he's speaking into. This isn't the only time that we see that in Scripture, but uh, in this case, uh, there, there is a relation between what Jesus says and the circumstances of the Greeks a request, And in this case, we need to go back, uh, among other places, to Abraham, to Jesus' ancient forebear. See, 2,000 years earlier, God had made this uh, promise to Abraham. It, it's recorded in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, he's, God promised Abraham that in him, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That is, through one of Abraham's descendants, maybe generations and generations beyond, that all the people of the earth would receive the blessing of God, that they would have access to God Himself. And yet, for the next 2,000 years or so, despite the promise to bless uh, all the people of the earth, uh, that the only ones who receive the blessing of God are Abraham's descendants, the Hebrew people. Now, they're not the only ones that are used by God. They're not the only ones who give glory to God. But they alone were the people of God. And yet, here in our passage this morning, we we have these Greeks, these non-Jews, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And there's nothing particularly unique about the request. Lots and lots of people wanted to see Jesus. What is unique is their nationality. Whether they knew it or not, these uh, non-Jews, those outside the covenant family, were coming and they were asking to see the Jewish Messiah, the one through whom they and all nations of the earth would be blessed. So the ancient promise to Abraham was being fulfilled. And you you can sort of understand, given that perspective, the deep stirring in Jesus' soul as He says, the Son of Man. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I mean, just think about if you had planned something, this grand 
plan, scheme of yours that would take your entire life and at the end of your life you finally see its, its culmination. And yet this plan of Jesus, He had sort of hatched with the Father and the Holy Spirit at the dawn of time. And then articulated millennia before that uh, through Abraham that all uh, people of the earth would be blessed. And now the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption of the world uh, was about to culminate. From what Jesus had seen from the very foundations of the earth, it was about to culminate right here, right now. Jesus is stirred, but not only that, it's about to culminate in His own death. And so Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, life springs from death. The seed has to be buried, has to be broken open uh, before life springs forth. That's the way that it has to be, says Jesus. And yet Jesus continues with a word for His followers. Then anyone who truly follows Him will follow Him right into that death. Now life from death isn't just for Jesus. It's for us all. If not literally, then certainly with the total uh, death of our desires for our service to anything other than the one true God. That's the standard. That is the absoluteness of Jesus' call. And that's probably more than the Greeks were bargaining for. But it's right there. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, that is even unto his death, where I am, there shall my servant be also. And i got to tell you, that's more than I bargained for too. I mean, I want... Really, I want Jesus to to reward me. I want Him to give me health. I want Him to give me happiness. A few balls to bounce my way. Obedient kids, you know, that wouldn't be so bad either. But the death of all my wants and my pet idols, not as attractive. And even in the times when I try really hard to die to myself, I really try to trust God for true happiness, it's just never perfect, is it? It's always insufficient. It's never complete. It's not up to the standard of the absoluteness of Jesus' call. My devotion to God is always tainted in some way by my sinful, inherent commitment to myself. And so is yours. And Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world. And I've got to tell you, if the scene were to end right there, we would all be in a world of trouble. Because now is the judgment of the world. The reality of our sins, evidence in the story of our lives, in the judgment of the world, we will, have, we will be found to have responded insufficiently to the absoluteness of Jesus' own call Uh, to our death, and therefore worthy only of God's just judgment against sin. That's, That's what we deserve. And yet, thankfully, thankfully, and here's the good news, thankfully the scene doesn't end there. As Jesus says, And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to Myself. 
See, the covenant promise uh, to Abraham is being fulfilled. Uh, you and I, once outsiders from the covenant promise, we are now saved from God's judgment against sin. We have access to the blessing of God and to God Himself because Jesus was lifted up on the cross to take upon Himself the judgment that we deserve. And He was lifted up out of death and out of the grave to draw us to Himself. And on the cross, He put to death all of our wants, all of our idols, so that in Him we might be free to really live. Because there's no more need that I have to justify myself because I'm justified. And there's no more, really, there's no more need that I have to worry because I'm resting in the hands and the grace of Almighty God. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And I pour content on all my pride. It's this focus on grace given to us in the cross that leaves us right there with those Greeks. Every day, increasingly over time, where our heart's desire is to see Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Him in our families. And we want to see Jesus in our places of worry and doubt and stress and fear. We want to see Jesus in our vocations. We want to see Jesus in our decisions. We want to see Him in our joys and our suffering. We want to see that God accepts us just as we are and yet loves us too much to leave us right there. It's grace that creates this heart that produces what we now want. This want that can only be planted in our hearts by His grace. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Amen.